Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. All right, how's everyone doing? We know who the real bedrockers are because you made it through a monsoon. And so um, one of the things that we do, and it takes on a new meaning tonight, we always want you to check in on Facebook and things like that just to let people know where you are. It's a way of inviting, but you might want to just check in tonight to let people know that you're alive, right? You, you made it and arrived safely this evening. But my name is Blake. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to be with you tonight. We're going to be finishing our series on essentials for godly relationships. And so it's been a couple weeks since I've been up here, which for me, who knows what's going to happen tonight. It's been all inside for a couple weeks, and it's just going to come out tonight. But I'm excited to be with you tonight and to really kind of end this series. Uh, Our next part of the summer is going to be incredible. We're going to be walking through some psalms and some of these letters where David, it's very human, right? It's very uh, like, where are you, God, and what is going on? And I am so doing so well, and now I'm not, right? Like, that's a normal flow of life. And I think for so many of us, sometimes we really feel like all the people in the Bible had it figured out. Like they were okay and they were perfect and they did everything that they needed to do. And so that's not true at all. And so we're going to take a look at that this summer. We're going to look at like these were normal people dealing with normal things. And I believe that there'll be encouragement in there for you. But we have a lot to do tonight, so I really want to be uh, quick tonight about going through. We have probably my favorite night that we ever have is tonight, because tonight we're going to celebrate baptisms. And so that's really what this is all about, is people who are saying, I believe in Jesus, and Jesus has changed my life. And, and I tell people it's a way of showing uh, like kind of this letter, like, hey, this is God, and he's changed my life, and it's the way that we declare it to the Lord. And so I am excited to be with you, but I don't know where John is. If someone can find him, he, he needs to bring a prop up for me, but if he's taking a minute, that's okay, but I just need um, a prop for tonight. But I'll tell you that um, this week, the, the title of tonight's message is, It All Hinges on This. And I don't know about you, but like we so focus on so many things in our life, we focus on certain aspects, but I don't know about you, but I tend to not focus most of the time on the most important thing. I kind of like focus my life when, when things are kind of come down to one thing, I'll focus on all these peripheral things, but what you realize really quickly in life is if you don't focus on the primary thing, the thing that everything else hinges on, kind of all of your other efforts are for naught. And tonight, we're going to look at that. Like We're looking at the most essential aspect of godly, good relationships. And I think that tonight is probably the one thing that we get most confused. In fact, as I was thinking about tonight's message and, and thinking about how all of these things hinge on this, I began to think about something kind of um, silly, uh, so, so tonight's message is all on love. That's what the whole title, the whole thing falls on one thing, which is love. And so as I began thinking about love and the way that our current culture kind of uh, looks at love, thinks about love, and all of these things, I began to think about, like, we've really missed the mark on this. Like, because, like, even in our culture right now, we're told so many times, like, you just need to love yourself and don't worry really about other people. Love you, but that's really the opposite of what God's Word says. And so I began to think about how our culture views love. And, you know, what came to mind was Cupid, right? Like, Cupid is, like, for real, th- this God that existed in, in Roman and Greek cultures, and I began to think about like how ridiculous this thought was, right? That if you know anything about Cupid, Cupid's parents were, were believed to be Venus and Mars, okay? So the God of love and the God of war. Like if that's not a dysfunctional family, I don't know what is, right? Some of us can relate to that. You're like, it was the God of love and the God of war in my house, right? So Cupid is the son of Venus and Mars. 
Men are from uh, Venus. Women are from Mars. There was a book about it. Everyone got confused. I got confused. Okay. That's how much I didn't read the book. Okay. And so what you realize is, is like even these ideas, we've all throughout culture had weird ideas around love. Like, we've, we've had these ideas that, that don't quite work. Like, there was a time in the world where people thought, Cupid needs to shoot you with an arrow, and if he doesn't shoot you with an arrow, you might not fall in love. And then, man, that gives a whole new meaning to, like, love is war and that you might get wounded in the process, right? Like, in order for you to find love during that time in the world, you had to be wounded by an arrow, and I thought about that, and I thought, man, what a ridiculous time. What a ridiculous way to think about love. And then I began to think about our culture's view of love and how we've begun to shift it and, and change it and move it in ways that it really doesn't resemble what love is really meant to be. But as I was thinking about this, and I thought about Cupid, when I moved to Virginia years ago where I went to university, I got into bow hunting. Like, I don't know how, I didn't do any of that here, but I got into it there, right? I just fell in love with this idea of like being self-reliant. Like, it wasn't like I really loved, like everyone's like, didn't you feel bad when you hunted a deer and all that? And I was like, yes, you do. I felt bad, but there was part of me that made me appreciate the whole process and everything with it so much more. And so I chose bow hunting because I'm a glutton for punishment, and it's the hardest way to do it. It's absolutely 100% the hardest way to do it. And so what happened is I began to bow hunt. And bow hunting, if you know anything about it, archery in general, is extremely difficult. Because not only do you have to have the right target, but you have to find the right trajectory. And once you find the right trajectory, you have to have the right stance. And everything has to come together. It's not just willy-nilly Robin Hood style. And as I began to think about that, I began to think that's really an analogy for love. Although Cupid used a bow and arrow to hit you and get you, right? Like the reality is, is that everything kind of has to go right. And I think for so many of us, we have kind of this love problem in our life because honestly, the essential of everything has fallen apart. Because you can do so many great things in your life and in your relationships and your marriage or your friendships or your relationships with family and friends and siblings, and you can do so many things to build a beautiful um, building, but if the foundation is wrong, it doesn't matter how many beautiful things you stack up, the foundation can't hold the weight of those beautiful things. You know, and as a pastor, you really get to be part of weddings all the time, and you get to be part of these, this great moment. And let me just tell you, I've never been to a wedding or anything like that where people got into it for the wrong reason. And I never hear anybody go, I think this is going to go about four years. I think that this is going to, like, that's what we're aiming to, like, I've never, like, pastor, if we could just get one year under our belt, oh, everything else is icing. Everyone goes into it in, in, in their relationship with these, like, this is forever. And let me just say right now, like, if you were married and it didn't last forever, this isn't an attack on you, but maybe you realize some of the foundation in the parts of your marriage and your relationships were built in beautiful ways, but the foundation was not right. And because of that, no matter how many beautiful things you stack up, they'll never, ever take over the foundation. And so when we look at this, I, I really believe that our capacity to love has been broken and it can only be restored in Jesus. Like, I really, really believe that because we all want to find love. We all do the best that we can so many times to love, but somehow it just doesn't work out. And so the Bible has kind of this, this way of expressing love and this way of expressing how we are to do this in an incredible way. And so we're not going to get into the, the nuts and bolts, 10 ways to have an incredible relationship. We're not going to do that. What we're going to talk about tonight is how do we build a firm foundation in our life? And here's the crazy thing about this. I don't know if you know this, but 
if the foundation that your house is on or the foundation of a building is messed up, we have ways now of going underneath the foundation and filling in the cracks. And so I don't want you to be in here tonight, and as we begin to talk about love and perfect love, godly love, you to go, oh, I've messed up and there's no way for me to recover in my life. What you need to believe and know is God might need to do some groundwork in your life, but he's going to do it in a way that will change everything. And so we're going to jump right into the Bible and we're going to go to, like, if maybe you never opened the Bible in your life, you've probably heard this passage. If you've been to any wedding, this passage tends to find itself in every wedding in the world. And I, I just want to tell you, this passage has nothing to do with weddings. <laughs> There's nothing about this passage that has anything to do with a wedding, but it's the one we quote the most. This passage has to do with every relationship in your life. If you have a Bible, jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13 is the most famous wedding passage in the world. And so we're going to jump into this, this night, and we, here's what we have to do. In order to truly have loving, godly relationships, we have to find our footing. In fact, when I was learning archery and learning how to do this, they didn't even hand me a bow at first. They were like, you don't need a bow. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm learning archery. I need a bow. It was like Mr. Miyagi style. Like, like I want to learn Kung Fu. And he's like, oh, you're going to need to wax the car and paint the fence. And I'm like, why am I doing this? And he's like, believe me, we're building a foundation. So do you know where my archery lessons and all of this started? It started in my feet. It started in how I stood, because what the instructor told me uh, was that if my feet aren't correct, everything else is askew. And he said, no one thinks about where you place your feet, but if you don't place them in the right place, everything else is off, and you're going to have to compensate for everything, right? If you're a baseball player or any sp like kind of general sports person, even skating and things like this have this in common. We call this the ready position, right? Sometimes you call it an athletic stance. But in any athletics, there's one stance that you have to have to do everything else, and it's this. On the balls of your feet, ready to go, right? If you watch baseball players, they'll stand like this before the guy's about to pitch the ball. I stood there bored half the time. I was like this. But as soon as he began to pitch, we were taught to do this and be on the balls of my feet. And as the ball passed the plate, we were to hop. Why? Because I can go in any direction that I need to and respond to any environment when my feet are in the right position. And what Paul is going to tell us, this passage comes in this idea, this season where the Corinthians are all messed up. Can anyone relate to like things aren't going well? In fact, half of the time, Paul's writing to the Corinthians and saying, stop suing each other. You guys are suing each other all the time. Like you got to stop this. You got to reset and refigure this out. And then they had all of these gifts, tongues and prophecy and all these other things. And Paul goes, listen, I need you guys to stop because if we don't get the one thing right, none of this matters. So you and I, if we're going to love in a godly way, have to find our footing. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, listen to what Paul says, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul says, look, what you and I have to understand is there's so many gifts that you can give your relationships, but if you don't give godly love, you have nothing. You have nothing. And you, and you may be saying like, well, I love I, I, I give love. Like, I, I have love. I have, I have it in my relationships. But can I just tell you, you're like, yes, Kelsey and I love each other, but we're working towards godly love. 
perfect love. Because let me just tell you one thing that has happened in our current culture that has twisted everything. See, we're told in our culture, do what you love, do what you feel is right, and, and kind of like, you love you, and then everyone else needs to acclimate to that. The very definition of love needs an object outside of yourself to show your affection. Do you see how like even in our culture, our foundation has totally shifted? Because let me tell you something. If your relationships are built on you, no matter how many good things you stack up, once your mood changes, the house comes falling down. Right? The number one reason for divorce right now in our culture is one thing. Irreconcilable differences. What does that mean? We couldn't find love and find a way to find a compromise. Our differences were so far apart, we just couldn't find a way. Maybe some of your relationships with your family members, if we were to say, why aren't you talking to your family? Why aren't you talking to your mom and dad? Why aren't you talking to your brother or sister? Why aren't you talking to your cousin or your aunt or your uncle and just start naming all of these people? It's like you're divorced from your family. And if I said, well, what's the reason? You'd say irreconcilable differences. We just can't find a way to find the middle. Because we want to be loved according to all of our own standards. Because it's become all about us. You just do you. But how many of you realize like when you are totally self-absorbed and totally into yourself, there's a lot of collateral damage out there in the world. Have you ever been around an egomaniac? Have you ever been around a person who's totally into themselves? Is that a person that you want to continue in relationship with? I I totally love myself and I could care less what happens to you because this is what I've been told I need to do. Let me just tell you something right now. This is going to sound mean. There's not a lot of hope for your relationships if all of your love is pointing towards yourself. Why? Because you will run over people in the process of taking care of your own needs. And so what Paul says in this passage, he says, before I tell you what love is, what real love is, you're going to need to understand something. Without it, you have nothing. It's the very foundation that you and I are going to set our feet on the ground. And it's from that that we have to get where we are. And Paul goes, your foundation was broken. Let me just tell you something. The reason that Paul's writing this letter is because a broken foundation can be fixed. If you feel like your relationship is on its last leg and it can't be healed, Paul has a different word. If you feel like your relationship with your parents or with your siblings or with your friends or whatever can never, ever get better or healed, God has a different word. Because God wrote this letter to a bunch of people in a bunch of broken relationships. And God wouldn't say, God doesn't say, sorry, this is the way it should have been, but oh well, give up. God says, we have some work to do, but we can get it done. And so what happens in this passage is Paul begins to talk about all of these things. But let me ask you, where do your relationships with God and others, where do they find their foundation? See, because some of us are in relationships of fear. Like our whole relationship with the other person is built upon fear, punishment, anger. Parents use this a lot. If you don't do this, this will be the consequence. Okay, you're being clear, but are you using love or are you using fear as the motivating factor? This can happen in romantic relationships. If you don't do this, I'm gone. That's a fear-based relationship. And let me just tell you, there's two things that happen in fear-based relationships. Fight or flight. Because fear will never rationally help you begin 
to seek reconciliation. Or how about this? Maybe your relationships right now are built on duty, like what you ought to do. Maybe your relationship with God and the reason you're here tonight, you're like, you know what, to be honest, Pastor Blake, I don't even want to be here, but I feel like I have to be. I feel like I owe it to God. I feel like it's my duty as a person who claims to believe in God that I'm here. Maybe the only reason that you're staying married right now is because you feel like, well, I made a promise, so it's my duty. These are secondary issues that aren't finding their true, true meaning and depth in love. Love is absent from fear. Love is absent from just duty, right? In fact, the Bible says that the reason that you and I are obedient to God is because of his love. Love is the motivating factor. What about this? Obedience, right? We just talked about this. Like You're just following all the rules, and that's what you demand of everybody else. See, because when our love is all about us, you're going to demand that every other person be obedient to what you need. To what you need. Be obedient to me and what I need. And you know what happens when you get two people who get into a place in a relationship where they both demand that you be obedient to me and you love me in only the way that I need and I don't really care about you, I'm going to worry about my own needs? There's no way to bring them together. It's, there's, it's just not. It, you're not going to happen. What about this? Some of our relationships are all built on attraction. Like, can I just be honest with you? Like, looks fade. Like, let's be honest. Like, if you look at pictures of me, like, 10 years, you're going to be like, Blake, what happened? I'm going to be like, I became a pastor and had four kids. Right? Like, that's what I'm going to say. Like, that's what happened. But, you know, like, when you find two I'm going to say it. Older people, no offense to anybody in here, you're all young, right? But people older than everyone in this room, okay? And you go, you go up to them, and they're still married, and you say, hey, can you tell me how you got here? You've been married. I had a, my, a great aunt and uncle that were married for 70 years. What? Yeah, 70 years. He's, I asked my, his name was Uncle Julie. I said, how did you do it? He said, I just said yes a lot. But what really happened is, is he didn't say this. Oh, she's just smoking hot. We're 97 years old. He didn't go, There's, she's smoking, right? That's what he said. That whole time, for 70 years, what got me through all of this is my wife is smoking hot. Right? I mean, it just, it's not going to work. What about this? Is your relationship built on hope? And you think, that's a good thing. Hope and faith are very different things. Hope is you, for lack of a better term, hoping it's true. Faith is believing it's true. So is your relationship with God built on hope? He is our hope, our only hope, but our relationship isn't built on hope. It's built on faith and love. See, some of us, like right now, are just looking up and going, I hope you're there. And I said my prayer, I'm going to get dunked tonight, hoping that this is right. right. I used to have a buddy of mine in college that, um, so I went to like a Protestant Christian school, and we would pray, and he, at the end of his prayer, he'd go like this, and he goes, just in case they're right, okay, like just in case, right? And I was like, that's not the way you build a relationship, like just in case, okay, just in case. No matter how great the things that you and I do are, if we do not have the right foundation, the love that we've built will topple over. And that's exactly what's happening here in 1 Corinthians. And so you and I have to realize, in order for all of this to work, hey, John, is John back there? Patrick? Patrick, there's a bow and arrow in that room. Probably just a bow. I don't want to actually shoot anyone. Can you grab the bow? See, Here's the thing about like being accurate. You have to hit the right target. In fact, I just heard a story this week about a U.S. Olympic athlete, Winter Olympics. I don't watch Winter Olympics because I'm from Florida, and so snow actually makes me angry. And so this guy, he's, he's the guy who like runs on the skis and he shoots the targets. He does all that, right? 
And this guy, a U.S. guy, I can't remember his name, he was cruising towards a U.S. gold medal in the Olympics. I mean, he was far outpacing everyone. He was far outdoing everything. And he got to the part of the competition where he, he just needed to simply hit the target. If he just hit the target, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If he, this is you're like, this is aggressive. It is aggressive, okay. And so if he just simply hit the target three times, no matter where it was on the target, this guy wins U.S. gold. He wins gold forever. And while he was shooting, the crowd went silent. The crowd is generally there at the part of this competition where you shoot. And his first shot hit the bullseye. Ding! Hit the bullseye. No one cheered. Second shot. Ding! Hit the bullseye again. Not only did he, like, hit the target, he hit the bullseye. Third shot. Ding! Hit the bullseye. He just hit the bullseye on the target next to his. And because he hit the wrong target, he was disqualified. And U.S. Olympic gold was stolen from him because he aimed for the wrong target. The trajectory, the accuracy was there, the wrong target. For so many of us, we are wondering why we're missing in life. And I think what God's saying is, because you hit the wrong target, you're aiming at the wrong thing. You've been aiming at you your whole life. The real target is me and others. Listen to what Jesus says in the scriptures. He's kind of talking to these disciples, and he's, they ask him a question. They say, hey, we got to know about holiness. How are you holy? What is the greatest commandment of everything? And this is what Jesus says, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up to him and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Which one is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important one is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. This is a Jewish prayer called the Shema. Every day, the Jewish people pray this prayer. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love him with all of your being. And Jesus knows the next question. Okay, you know that, smart guy. What's the second one? Jesus answers quickly. He doesn't even let them ask. The second is this. You shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. There are no greater commandments than these. What Jesus says is, you want the Cliff Notes version to living holy? Love God, love people. That's it. That's, that's it. You, you need the most essential aspect of living a godly life. You've got to hit the right target. And the right target is love God, love people. That's why at Bedrock, our entire mission is to see lives transformed by the hope of the gospel. That our mission is so simple. We want to bring God to people and people to God. That's what we want to do here. That's it. We don't need to build buildings and enterprises. We don't need to do anything other than the two things that Jesus says to do. Love God and love people. And let me tell you something. It has to come in that order. It has to come in, love God, love people. Because God will tell us how we're to actually love people. How we're actually to do it. See, when we love someone, it begins to change us and we love what they love. Well, Kelsey and I, like I hate, by the way, sitcoms. I don't like laugh tracks. I don't think they're that funny. The whole plot is solved in an episode and I'm like, this is boring. My wife loves sitcoms. I mean, loves them. Favorite show? Friends. Parks and Rec. Uh, what else do we watch? New Girl. Then we watch this British Baking Show. Then we watch, like, it's just sitcom city at my house. But here's what I'll tell you. I've learned to love them because I love Kelsey. 
See, my love for Kelsey in its proper place has shifted my love towards other things. I love golfing. I love it. I love it so much. Do you know what's happened in my life because of my love for Kelsey and my love for my family? I don't go golfing anymore. You say, that's sad. No, being away from my family for four hours at a time is sad. If you golf, I don't want, like, that's okay. For me, my love for them has driven me away from golf. See, when I love the proper things, it will keep me from loving the wrong things. See, all of us right now are kind of looking at love and looking at God, and we're walking away backwards from all of the things that we don't want to do. And do you notice you can't get any of those things out of your attention because you're staring at them the whole time. What God says is, love me, and you'll move away from those things. Because here's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to walk backwards away from the things that we're not supposed to do. We're supposed to turn and walk directly towards God. And guess what? We walk away from those things. We have to have the right target. We have to, in this life, do the right thing. And you say, Blake, that's incredible. Love God, love people. I love people. I love all the people who are close to me. I love all the people who I like. And Jesus says, wrong target. It's easy for you to love them. God's love isn't easy. It's good, it's perfect but it's hard. And you say, oh, don't say it, Pastor Blake. I'm going to say it. Matthew 5, verse 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus goes, whoops. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's godly love. Because all of us go, I'm okay hating those people because I love me so much. Because I love me and they hate me, I hate them. Jesus goes, that's not the way that this works. Because the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ entered the world to die for us. Thank God Jesus loves his enemy. You say, that, that's harsh. I don't, I don't think I was an enemy of God. Well, God goes, if you're not for me, you're against me. But I love you more than that. I, I'm coming for you. See, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. So can I just tell you, you say, Blake, there's a person in my life that's an enemy that's so bad. You, what you're asking me is impossible. There's no way for me to do this. There's no way that you could, in love, ask me to do this, Blake. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know what, what happened. Here's what I'm saying. You don't need to go buy them a filet mignon and buy them a new car and bring it to their house. That's, that's what affection can do. That doesn't mean affection. The affection that you can show to your greatest enemy is that you don't hate them. Your greatest affection that you could show your enemy is you're not praying for their downfall, but you're praying for their restoration. That's what loving your enemy can look like. And let me just tell you, it's very hard for us to hate people we pray for. They're like two things that don't go together. I hate them. Let me pray for them. And what you'll see is as you pray for those who persecute you, God is going to change your heart. See, even our enemies. Loving our enemies doesn't mean we cuddle with them, but it also doesn't mean that we crush them. It makes us a person who can actually love that. And let me just tell you something. How would the world be different if either the Democrats or the Republicans laid down their hatred for one another and just said, you know what, let's just, can we get along? Can we just love each other and do what's best for people and stop loving our party over people? And can we just like find middle ground? How many of us would be like, hell just froze over and the end is near? Like, uh, we're right. And if you saw someone say, you know what, we love the Republicans, and we, or we love the Democrats, and we just want to get along, and so we're going to figure it out, and actually, we're going to just, like, take all of our agenda, and we're going to give it up, and for the sake of unity, we're going to let them have what they want. Some of us will be like, he's coming back, right? Like, I don't hear a trumpet. I'm freaking out. Like, where is Jesus? Because there's no way that this happens. Some of us in our life, it's the same thing. See, because when we find the right target, we find the right trajectory. 
So this is a compound bow. This is actually, I had a bow like this. It was stolen three months ago. Okay? So the way that this works, I'm, there's no arrows. Everyone says, I'm not going to, this would be the wrong target. But see, right here, you might be able to see there's these little dots. Can you guys see these little dots? You got, you got them? You see them? Okay. All right. So these dots are probably one of the most important things because if you'll notice right here in this bow, there's a little circle. I'm not going to draw this bow back because I don't want to kill myself. All right. So, but what happens is, is when you pull this bow back, I could do it. Can I do it? This is a guy. He's real little. I, I think I could do it. Yeah, I can do it. All right. So when you put the arrow like this, you look through this peephole, that's what it's called, and you look at this circle. And these dots all represent a different yardage. And so you put this on your target. But the very top line on this bow is probably 20 yards. 20 yards away. So meet a Danielle. So there's another dot on the very bottom. It's probably 75 yards. So let's say that my target was 20 yards away. I got the right target, but instead of using 20 yards, I use 75. What's going to happen to the trajectory of my arrow? It's not going to hit my target. It's going to fly past it, over 50 yards past it. See, because not only do I need to know what I need to hit, I need to know the trajectory of the arrow and how it needs to get there. For so many of us, we know where we need to go now. There's ignorance is not bliss anymore, right? We're to love God and love people, even really hard people, even our enemies, because God loved us. But we're now to have the right trajectory, the right way in which to do it. And you say, all right, so what's the right path that you and I are to take to love people the right way, to love God the right way? It's a super simple verse. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The right path through which you and I are to love the people in our life, whether enemy or our spouse or our best friend or our siblings or our parents, is not just like that we have the right target, but we get there in the right way. For if we don't get there in the right way, we won't hit the target. Like if I don't aim at the right trajectory of this arrow, I will miss what I'm trying to do completely. Because here's the thing that gets so mixed up in our lives right now. We think that loving people right now is letting people do whatever they want. Like, how can I say what you're doing is wrong or harmful or anything else? Because you love yourself. Who am I to tell you that you can't do that? Guys, throw parenting out the window. We might as well quit parenting if we're going to tell our children that you can't do that. But parents in the room or grandparents in the room, how many of you told your children not to do something in this life because your love for them was greater than their love for themselves and your love for you? Because how many of us, as soon as you tell a kid, you can't have that? My kids asked me for probably 12,000 Sprites today, okay? We had a men's night last night. We had leftover Sprite. My kids, all they wanted to drink was Sprite all day. You know what my answer was a lot? No, you can't have another Sprite. You've had one already. Uh, Scout was in her bed just kind of chilling out, and I look at her, and she's sitting there with a Sprite like this. Oh, yeah. I'm like, you've been sipping on that Sprite for about four hours. That thing's flat and nasty, Right? And so she said, well, can I get a new one? No, you can't get a new one. Why? Because I hate Scout? No, because I love Scout. Because I not only need to think about her immediate gratification, I need to think about the future consequences of some of this stuff. Right? You know that every addiction started with the first try. Everything that led someone to what they thought they needed and wanted started with the first thing that someone didn't say no. And because I love Scout and my kids and Kelsey and you more than that, that there's going to be times that I have to bear to you bad news. But it's going to have to be news 
that I tell you in love. See, if you tell the truth without love, you're a bully. You're a jerk. But if you tell people things in love without the truth, you're leading them astray. There is no love. And that's something that we have in our culture that right now is so bad. I want you guys to hear this quote. Because we're to love people like God loves them. And this is what it means. When we love people before God, when we get that, that, that target wrong, when we love people before God, we will give them what they want. When we love God before people, we will give them what they need. That's a very different thing. When we love People before God will give them what they want. When we love God before people, we'll give them what they need. Parents, can you testify to this? Can you say, like, I have to love my kids more than their desires? I have to love my kids more than their wants? I have to be bigger than that? And then here's the thing. Because your love is so set before them, how many parents or how many of you said this to your kids or to your parents? They said no, and you go, I hate you. I hate you. You're the worst ever. Do you know what? I can bear that. Like, I don't, like, run to my room after my kid goes, I hate you. I'm not like, <laughs> do you know why? Because my love is so much greater than that, because it's not for myself. So when my love isn't for myself, I become unoffendable. So you know what I can say when they scream at me, I hate you? I can look at them and go, well, I absolutely love you. And how you feel about me will never change how I feel about you. See, even when you scream, I hate you. You're awful. You're the worst. You're unbelievable. I wish I had a different parent. Anyone ever said that? Well, why don't you sell me and get a new one? Right? Like, what? Okay. I was like, what does this mean, Mom? Right? Because what it meant is, is that my love for me overrode my love for you. Some of the reasons so many of us are so offended in this room all of the time is because you love yourself so much. Because let's be honest, like, can we just get down to it? Who cares if someone doesn't agree with the way that you live, with the what you think? Who cares? But it hurts me because you love yourself so much. Can you imagine if we start to love in the proper target in the proper way how free you would be. Because if your love for people and God was more than your love for yourself, instead of being offended by what they just said to you, you would seek to reconcile it with them and find out why they're hurting. Because you got out of the way and all of a sudden your life is no longer controlled by everything that everyone thinks about you. We have a saying, I say this all the time, they hate us because they ain't us. People say like they'll write weird things on the internet or like send me a mean message and people are like, are you hurt by that? And I'm like, not, no, not really. Not because I'm a sociopath, I just wonder why they're hurting so bad. I might be a sociopath, right? But like the reality is, it's like, have you ever thought the person who cuts you off and communicates to you in sign language, um, what, have you ever gone like, I know you want to communicate back, and communication is key to godly relationships. You just got to do it in the right way. But how many of you have ever just thought, I wonder what happened to them to cause them to react like that? Because can I just free all of you for one second? Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Like when I tell my kids you can't have a Sprite, I hurt them. So what do they do? They hurt me back. I hate you. Those seem very unevenly balanced. This is a sprite that you can't have today. You hate me? This is very dramatic. And so we look at this passage and we look at all of these things and we look at this moment. Is this clicking with you right now? Because what you've realized, what the, the bag of tricks that you and I have been sold by the cultures, you do you, you love you, all of these things. And then when you love you and everyone goes, but don't care. When you're obsessed with yourself, when your love is totally set for yourself, you care obsessively what everyone thinks about you. Are you free? Some of you like need to quit social media for a little while. You just need to get off of there. Stop watching the news. I guarantee you, if something catastrophic happens, you'll hear about it at the water cooler. 
Because how many of us, you see one politician on the other side of the aisle from you on an issue of you, and they, you disagree with them, and then all of a sudden, they're the worst thing in the world. In fact, you want to know how crazy this is getting? There are certain people who would fall in line in so many ways, but they disagree with an ideology in one particular area, and all of a sudden, they're the enemy. I don't, I, I, I don't believe in critical race theory. One, I watched a po black politician say, I don't agree with uh, critical race theory. Another politician from that aisle goes, you're a racist. What? You're a racist because you don't agree with our theory. Even though you are of an ethnic minority, now you're the problem said the white guy to the black guy because he didn't agree with critical race theory. And I'm not here to get into talk about do we all agree with this or not. I'm here to say what happened. Because we're so in love with ourselves and so in love with our ideologies, we begin to end this life, lose it. So what is love? Baby, don't hurt me, right? That's, that's the next part. Like, so what is love? Like, we know where it's to go. We know where it's to land, but what is it? Paul gives us this incredible insight into this, and this is where we're going to end the night. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 4 to 8. Love is patient. This is, you know this, right? Like if you know it, just say it with me, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never ends. This is what this means. You say, what does being patient mean? Does that mean you never get irritated by what your neighbor's doing? No, it just means that you're not gonna be provoked by what your neighbor's doing. Karl Barth said this. Karl Barth reminds us that to love your neighbor means that it doesn't mean it can't get dreadfully on your nerves in, even in the exercise of what it regards as and may, what many well be his particular gifts. doesn't mean like that guy playing his clarinet on the porch during the middle of the night doesn't get annoying. But it means that you don't have to be provoked and go out and scream at him and break the clarinet. That's what being patient means. It means that when you're wronged, it doesn't mean that you have to be made right. You're patient. It's kind. I hope that doesn't need explaining. Just be kind. So words that are meant to cut, words that are meant to hurt, things that you do to get back at someone, unkind. That's a hurt person trying to hurt people. But then this, this whole thing happens here that changes everything. Pride has no place in this. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking. It does not easily get angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Here's what I need you to understand. This is what Paul's getting at in this passage. Everyone in here, I'm going to ask you, what is the opposite of love? Just like yell it out. Hate. Hate. Indifference. What else? Selfishness. That's good. You're all close. What? Lust. Okay. So here's what happens in this passage. For most of us, we'd say the opposite of love is hate. Paul says, according to 1 Corinthians 13, the opposite of love is pride. The opposite of true love is pride. And how many of us are told in our culture to be prideful? In fact, pride is this word, listen, how much Paul wants us to understand this. In the Greek, there's this word that's used for pride, which literally means to puff up or inflate, right? It's used seven times in the New Testament, six times it's used in this letter, because Corinth has a love problem. And so what happens here, let me ask you something. What happens when you keep puffing up a balloon? Beckham? It pops. What do you think pride's going to do to you in your life? It will keep puffing you up until you burst. And there's a famous biblical saying that this, pride comes before the fall. The opposite of love is pride. So let me tell you what love isn't. 
Love doesn't let people do whatever they want. Love isn't passive, it's active. Some of us in this room think, I'm gonna love people by just saying nothing, by doing nothing. That's not loving. If you saw a blind person walking towards a cliff and you go, you know what, he's his own person, I'm just gonna let him keep going. Who am I to get in the way? Would I go, man, that, what a loving guy. You're so nice, you just let that guy walk off a cliff. You really believe in people's freedom. I love you. I'd be like, you're the worst person ever. You let a blind person walk off a cliff. You're not loving well, but I didn't want to, like, encroach on his freedom. Oh, so you loved yourself in the awkwardness of maybe getting in a weird argument than it is to tell someone something true. It isn't berating. This is what a lot of Christians do. We like to scream the truth in your face. How many of you this seems loving? I love you! I love you so stinking much! You're the best people in the world! I love you so much, I just want to punch your face! This is what Christian goes. Jesus loves you. Everything you do is awful, but God loves you. I hate what you do, but I love you. And the world goes, doesn't sound like it. You're berating me. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not harsh or hasty. It is not making about making you feel better. And let me just tell you this. Love is not about you being right. And if you look at this world and you look at this moment, you'll see so much of all of the things that we have shifted in the way that love is supposed to operate. And because we've shifted it, we have a world that's a mess. We have a world right now that is a mess that does not know how to love one another, does not know how to do all of these things. And let me just tell you, you said, I, we met with our interns this week, and all of the interns were, I were like, what do you want to do more? I'm going to sell you all out. Oh, well. Right? And so they all were like, I wish I would just read my Bible more. I just, I do. I wish that. I think all of us would be like, yeah, I wish that too. And so I was like, well, you guys want to know the secret to reading your Bible more? And they're like, please. And I was like, okay, get out your pen. Like, get ready. This is good. Uh, you want to read your Bible more? Okay, here you go. Ready? Read. Read. That's it. It's that simple. It's that easy. And so do you want to know how to love people more? Love. It's that simple. How do I do it? Love. So you're going to ask yourself some questions like, is this about me or is it about them? Is it about me being right or them, or them being right? You're just going to love people. Church, if we could, as a people of God, truly begin to understand, it's that simple. You want to reach the world? You want, like, church, do you want to reach the world? Do you want to see people who don't know God know God and come into a loving relationship with the God who radically changed your life? Love the world. Love the world. Love your enemy. Love those who persecute you. And where does it all stem from? The first commandment, love God. Do you want to know what God really does in this world? He loves people. That's it. In fact, so many of us, in order for a person to come to know Jesus, we're like, well, what political party are you in? What's your view on this? Well, like, oh, you do drugs? You got to stop that, and then we'll talk about Jesus. Oh, you, you want to do that? Well, you, you got to change everything about you. Let me just tell you something, church. Jesus, right now, will accept you right where you are, but he'll take you somewhere you're not. That's loving. God loves you too much to leave you right where you are right now, and that scares some of us to death. But let me just tell you something. God's never going to dra drag you to death. He's always going to lead you to life. Why? Because he loves you. And so tonight, we're going to do something kind of special. See, choosing is so important. So I'm just going to ask you, like, just in your heart, like, there's no, like, altar moment. Are you going to love people? Who do you need to call and apologize to, even if you're right? You can never, ever in this world argue with someone about why they feel the way that they do. You need to just address the fact that they feel the way that they do because you want to be justified in the hurt.
that reason that you feel hurt is stupid. Does that, that seems like healing, right? That's like, oh, the way you feel is so stupid. So, like, let's get over it and be friends? It's like, well, not only did you hurt me, now you called me stupid. Like, what? And you're like, but it's awesome because I'm right. You don't need to address why, you just need to address what? How? How they're feeling. And it's that simple. You just got to make a choice, church. We just got to make a choice, church. And let me just tell you this. I firmly and truly believe that the greatest days of bedrock are ahead of us. And here's why. We have a church full of people who love God and love others. I have no doubt that our church will grow. I have no doubt that we will reach people. I have no doubt that we'll change things in this world because we have a church full of people who love God and love others. But see, Jesus and God chose to love us. God was not obligated to love you and I. That is how much God loves you. He wasn't obligated to do it. He chose to do it. And he didn't have to come to this earth, but he chose to come to this earth. You want to know how much God loves you? Look at what he was willing to give up for you. He left heaven and he came to earth as a man and he lived like you and I and he took on our sin, all of the things that we did wrong against him. Psalm 51, against you and you alone, oh God, have I sinned. And Jesus goes, love is not passive, it's active. And so I'm gonna make the choice to come down. I'm gonna make the choice to live. I'm gonna make the choice to die. You realize that? He chose that. No one put him anywhere that he didn't wanna be. In fact, they mocked him and they said to him, if you're really God, just get down off that tree. And Jesus goes, I'm going to choose a greater love than me. I'm going to choose them. And you realize that the cross was a choice for you, not for him, but for you. And he took his enemy and he made them friends because he chose you over his benefit to bring you close to him. He made a choice. And the Bible points to it constantly. And here's the crazy thing. When you choose to love your enemy, when you choose to love your family, the same love that saved you resides in you. And you can stand in his love and you can move forward. And nothing in your relationships will get better until this happens. Because all you're doing is putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. And so tonight, we're going to remember the love of God for us in two very, very special ways. The first way, as the band comes up, is we're going to take communion together. There are two things that Jesus tells us to do when he goes. To take communion and to baptize people. We are going to do both tonight. And here's what you have to know. Communion is this moment where you and I remember what Jesus did. There's no special aspect to the crackers, and in this case, juice. By the way, they're gluten-free, so everyone can indulge, okay? So here's the deal. And you say, that's weird. I have two daughters that have celiac disease. I'm all in the gluten-free thing, okay? And so here's the deal. When you eat the cracker or drink the juice in this case, you're remembering that his body was broken for you, and his blood was shed for you as a representation of his love for you. And then tonight, there's a couple people in this room who are going to, because they believe that Jesus lived for them, and because they believe that Jesus died for them, and that that was not God's way of showing anything but love towards them, they go, I've accepted that. I believe in that. I believe God loves me so much that he was willing to give up his life for me, and that's radically changed me. And I'll just tell you, when you love something, you want to tell the whole world about that love, and God is that love, and the way that you and I declare that love is through baptism. The Bible says that when you are baptized, you are recognizing and showing to the world, I love him. He's changed me. He's moved me. He's made me new. And the way that I want to tell the world, I want to shout it from the rooftops. And the way that he told me to do that is through baptism. And so there's people here tonight that are going to get baptized. And I am so excited about that. It is my favorite time as our church. But maybe you're here right now 
and you say, I don't know what to do, Pastor Blake. Like, I feel like I've been running from the love of God. I feel like I've been just loving myself and doing whatever I want to do and my life is a mess and I'm a Christian and I don't know what to do and I feel like I've made God angry. Thank God his love is more towards you than towards himself and so you can come home. And maybe today you're like, I didn't come ready for this. Well, don't worry. It's already torrential downpour outside so you can get wet in a tub. And you can jump in that tub and you can say tonight God I want to rededicate my life to you so I don't have all the clothes and I'll, don't worry we got those maybe tonight for the very first time in your life you go I never got this love from God I, I never understood it because every one of his followers just spewed hate that's not the message of Jesus and maybe for the very first time in your life I'm not asking you to bow your head and close your eyes I want to look at you. I want you to look at me. I want you to own this moment so much. And you say, for the very first time in my life, I want to believe that Jesus died for me and that he rose again for me out of his love and out of his holiness and out of his goodness. And I want to confess that because I need that. I've been trying it my own way and it's a mess. And so if you want to believe in Jesus for the very first time in your life, I will be right down here in just a second to meet you. Thank you for jumping into today's message, and we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you, and please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.